Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Folks, today we are going to talk about changing jobs, careers, pursuing a dream, starting a business, and it all ties back into what we are now calling the Great Recession. Today we have Nate with us. I want to talk about basically things like, what if you're scared to make the leap? And by the way, you're not the only one. What is holding you back from making that leap? Like I said, we have Nate. Nate is one of our great financial advisors at Six Point, and I wanted to get him on the podcast because I know that he is seeing this quite a bit with his clients, and folks are asking Nate specifically a lot of questions about changing jobs. So, Nate, how are you today, sir? Doing awesome. How about you? And I'm doing great. So, as a quick intro, why, how long have you been in financial planning, and what got you into it? Yeah, so I'll give you the short version of this. Uh, I've been doing this coming up on six years. You know, I really got into it, Dave, because I love. I kind of got into like I've turned into a money nerd from my last yeah. job and career, actually, and uh, just wouldn't shut up about it to other people. And surprisingly enough, they were really receptive and interested. <laughs> and uh, you know, learning it myself before getting into this career, as well as seeing the difference it could make in other people's lives, was kind of addicting. And I'm still here. Yeah, good for you. So I know I know we've talked a lot about this, and you're running into people of all ages, all income ranges, all sorts of different things. We, we see it all. So if, if you're listening to this as advisors, I feel like after 20 years of doing this, I've seen, seen everything. Nate has specifically been running into folks looking to change jobs and they just don't know where to start or how to begin really making that change. And I wanted to have Nate on to talk about it because he has a checklist with us. So Nate, why don't we start with your, we'll call it the great resignation checklist. And let's just dive into what you would tell folks if they're considering making a move. Yeah, absolutely. So in the spirit of uh, continuing the theme, we've got six points <laughs> for uh, considering when it comes down to potentially joining and being part of the great resignation. So the first thing that I think it's always worth starting with, I get the question often, how do I go about doing this? How do I look at this? And I think how might be the wrong question. I think why is maybe the better question. So the first thing that I think everyone should consider when they're taking a look at another career is just to make sure that their expectations are aligned, especially if they're looking at potentially changing industries. So for instance, let me give you, let me lay this out a little bit. So if their expectation is, Nate, I hate my job that I'm in right now. I want to go over here. I want to work part-time and I want to make $10,000 more than what I was making at my previous job. Maybe that's possible, but also maybe it's not. In fact, I'd probably lean on that it's probably not possible. So making sure that they're not setting themselves up to be disappointed and understanding why are you really looking to leave? Is, is it because you feel like your purpose is not being fulfilled in your current role? It might be worth kind of ex examining that purpose a little bit because I firmly believe that for the most part, you can find a way to fulfill that like intrinsic need for of purpose. I don't know if I, there's a better way to describe that. My my one caveat to that is if you're in a work environment that is exceptionally toxic, you probably need to find a way out. Even if it's a little bit of a pay cut, sometimes we can find ways to make this thing work, but your mental health, your emotional stability, your your, your overall health really can be impacted in a negative way from just a, a really toxic work environment. Thankfully, not all of them are, but there are certainly a lot out there that uh, that that is a really serious issue. And addition by subtraction 
is actually possible in that in that case. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a bunch of questions I can ask about that, but why don't we roll through the six points first, and then I'll ask some questions at the end. So let's do it. Let's what's do what's it. point so, number two? I love the six uh, points, yeah. by the way. Good for you. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Number two is how does this move factor into your overall plan? So oftentimes I've found people considering a job change for whatever reason, think that this is totally separate from their total financial game plan and picture. And it really couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, the, the foundation of really everything that we're using for planning purposes is the fact that there's an income coming from somewhere. So if we're talking about changing a job, we're now talking about changing the source of income, which you know really just means that we need to have at least a basic idea of how this is going to work. The first thing that's kind of a sub point of point number two here is, does this new role, does this new job allow you to leverage your current skill set to make more money or achieve a better work-life balance, which I think is maybe too much of a buzzword or phrase at this point. I, I kind of prefer work-life ratios because I think the reality is most people are never going to be in a position where it's 50% work and 50% life. When you figure out what ratio you are comfortable with, I think you're setting yourself up more for success in those situations to be happy <laughs> with what you're, uh, what you're working with, no pun intended. The second piece of that point is you know looking at does this new opportunity potentially have greater flexibilities that I may be able to employ here? So for instance, that could be a uh, total remote work from home. This could be more of a hybrid schedule. Maybe it's Tuesday through Thursday, you're in the office, therefore, you know, giving you more flexibility on the beginning and the end of the week. This works really well as far as like an addition to the equation here for especially younger families or growing families. They've got nine kids that they're trying to pick up or bus to school. They've got a couple of toddlers wandering around the house. They've got three dogs on top of it. It's, you know, it's, there's a lot of complexities that, that come from just having a family. So having that kind of a hybrid or work from home role can help address some of that stuff, but there's also other benefits that I think come into play there too. So it's not just work from home. There are plenty of companies out there now that are offering things like unlimited paid time. I might get into unpacking that at a later in a later podcast yeah, or conversation one-on-one, yeah. -on -one. but uh, that's it's a really interesting benefit. I think it does allow for a lot of flexibility. You've got things like pretext childcare savings, which I've seen several times now working with people and comparing benefits. And that is awesome, especially for people with young kids who maybe both spouses work, being able to kind of turn it into a, a not, not quite a write-off deduction from their regular earnings is a big deal because childcare is so expensive. And then one that's relatively new in the grand scheme of things as well is there are some employers that are offering pre-tax student debt repayments, and they may also be assisting their employees with, and you know, whether it's 50 or hundred bucks or, or whatever, you know, whatever helps in order to, to start working on the bigger picture here. So there's a lot that goes into it and it's not just isolated from the rest of your financial game plan. The income sources are so important. I think a lot of people are wondering what unlimited pay time off means, but again, we'll get into that later. So we, we can, I'd be happy to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation on that. Maybe it makes sense to make a whole podcast about that. I kind of doubt yeah, it, yeah. but it's an interesting benefit. I'll say that. Well, I think if you're the employer, you're definitely looking for the right folks in that case, because yes. you don't want yep. them to take advantage of it. So yep. the right people won't, but so anyway, in the spirit of moving things on here, Nate, what, what do you have for the third point? So point number three is professional development opportunities. I think this is just like you described, maybe for those people who are really professionally driven, there are plenty of employers out there that will offer some kind of assistance or support. Now, I think the number one thing that comes to mind when people think of professional development 
is probably an employer assisting them with going back to school. Uh, maybe they've got a bachelor's, they're looking to get a master's or a doctorate or what have you. And there are plenty of employers that will do that. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're encouraging you to go back to school, just to clarify. I would say that this is maybe a better opportunity for higher education if they're looking to subsidize that. If they are giving you a list of colleges that they have agreements and discounts for maybe master's programs or MBAs, if they are giving you some sort of financial support to actually go back to college. Now, I, I do always want to mention this when people say, oh, I'm looking for an employer that'll help me get my MBA. Be aware most employers that do that, not all, but most will want you to have some kind of agreement that you'll stay there for at least three years post getting your MBA, you know, they're investing in you. They don't want to see them invest in you. And then you walk out the door. Uh, if you do decide to walk out the door and, and not follow that, oftentimes you do have to repay them for the amount that they were uh, compensating yeah. you to, to get a higher education. But it doesn't just have to be degrees. There's plenty of purposes where getting leadership training might be extremely valuable. There's plenty of situations where getting some type of additional certificate that's relevant in your uh, career field could be a really big deal. So I would say don't exclusively look at this as, well, I can't go get my MBA or I can't go get whatever degree you're pursuing and have my company pay for it. If they're looking for other ways to invest in you, it really could be a great opportunity, especially if it's something that maybe your current employer is not offering. Right. Which is the point of this, which I think may lead right into point number four. I see the title, but I don't know what you're going to talk about. So <laughs> what are you gaining, right? Versus what are you giving up? And that might be one of the things, professional development. So exactly about that a little more. That's exactly it. Just so this point doesn't seem redundant, it's got a, it's got a bunch of subpoints to this. And the first segment of just these comparisons, gaining versus giving up, I tried to use as many of just the hard numbers, the numbers you could actually find that we could stack side by side and make comparisons to. When you're looking at increased earning potential, oftentimes I think that topic in and of itself is super appealing. In fact, I just recently I ran a poll prior to this podcast because. I'm a nerd like that, and I enjoy hearing feedback from people. So it wasn't giant. There was 80 participants in this across three different LinkedIn groups. But 80% of these people said that the number one thing that they're assessing when they're looking at changing a job is salary. Am I going to get paid at least as much, if not more, if I go to a different place? That's the easy one. I think taking the job change process and saying, well, if the salary at the new place is better than the one that I've got right now, I'm making the change is maybe oversimplifying it. That'd be like saying the only thing that a financial advisor does is keep track of rate of return. Right. Financial advising is so much more than just rate of return. The same as job change consideration should be way more than is this new employer going to pay me more dollars on paper. Yeah. So to go along with that though, I think if you are getting a significant pay bump, making sure you at least have a baseline understanding of the tax implications of this. Now, again, common misconception that I hear is some people have this perception that it's a flat tax rate and that if they get into that next yeah. bracket, that they're going to get taxed more on all the money that they've earned. You've already done a whole podcast on this, Dave. If you know which podcast number that is, feel free to reference that here for people so they can go back and, and check it out to get, uh, get you know a better yeah. understanding of that. But Keep um, the point and then I'll let everybody know. Yeah, absolutely. So just having a good understanding of that, I think is helpful. So not, not because, hey, if I get a pay increase, I'm going to have less money to take home. That's likely not the situation, but it just may not be as rich as it looks when you realize what percentage of that money, especially in the higher tax brackets as you climb the ladder, is actually getting taken out for state and federal taxes. It's also important, I think, especially for people who are married filing jointly, to really understand how it combines. It's not just their income that it's affecting. It's them and their spouse. So taking a look at the full household, I think is really important there. 
as well. I think it's also really important. One of the number one costs that people are concerned about is healthcare. You know, what, what are my health insurance premiums going to be? What does it cover? Oftentimes, and I've seen this firsthand, I can think of three instances right off the top of my head with clients as we went through and, and did some reviews on this. The new employer was offering them a significantly better salary, but they were also going to be in a situation where the health insurance was not nearly as generous, I guess we'll say. And on top of that, they didn't actually have the same style of health plan that they had at their last employer. So there was a a bunch of additional changes that they had to take into account, but ideally seeing if you can compare comparable plans side by side and understanding what your deductibles are. If you do decide to choose a high deductible plan, which not all, but many people do. Do you still have maybe an HSA or is there an HSA available at the new employer that you didn't have at your previous one? Again, finding tax efficient ways to save for future uh, healthcare expenses, I think is a big deal, just the same way that it is for uh, you know pre-tax childcare savings. You're likely going to spend some money on it at some point. We might as well make sure you do it in the most efficient way possible. The third sub point to what you might be gaining from, from moving to a new employer here is you really want to understand the the matching requirements and kind of how that works. So making a comparison side by side is important, but there's a little hidden piece to it that I find a lot of people just disregard. And it's that there might be a waiting period at their new employer. So let's say it's an extremely generous offer. The matching is wonderful, but you've got to wait six months or a year. Now it's not Really, it's not a deal breaker in the, in the most cases, but we just can't count that as additional value to your compensation for the first year at the very least. And we need to make sure that when you're making this move, your intention is being there long enough to really reap the rewards of it. Yeah. Whether it's uh, you know profit sharing, whether it's a match to your retirement plan, it's good to have a, a handle on what's going on there. The other side of the coin here, may, maybe money you're leaving on the table here. So some things to consider before you make the jump from a current employer. One of my biggest pet peeves for myself and others is missing out on free money that's available. So I always do my best to try and make sure that anytime there is something that resembles that, that people take advantage of it and and I help them do it. An example of this might be not understanding the vesting schedule for your previous employer. And again, I can think of easily two or three right off the top of my head where the vesting schedule, for those that are unfamiliar with that term, it's basically a calculation built into a 401k or employer-sponsored plan that has a certain percentage associated with it. AKA, if you stay at your employer for one year, 25% of the money that they've matched you is yours if you leave. Two years, 50%, three years, 75, and so on. And in this case, it was that same schedule. So 75% of the money his employer matched, which was a very generous match based on the percentages he was working with before. We were about four and a half months from him being fully vested. And he did decide to take the new job, which was again, a higher salary, but it was nice because I've seen it happen as a surprise to people in the past, usually people that I'm not working with and start working with me, but you know, he knew exactly how much he was going to be leaving on the table and decided, you know what, this move is worth. I'm glad that that wasn't a surprise. So being aware of all that stuff, there, there's a lot that goes into this, but that's maybe one of the number one points here. I'm trying not to ramble too long on this, but making sure that if there is a period of six months or longer at that new employer that you're waiting, again, just be aware of maybe a lesser considered piece is with those who are participating in group life or disability plans through their current employers. You want to make sure you've got something relatively comparable with the new employer. I think it's it's a great release really is a big deal for uh, younger families typically, but especially if you can't qualify on your own, you know. Typically, I'm a big proponent of making sure that you're in control of that, but 
If you can't qualify, making sure that either A, your group plan for both of those is portable, B, understanding how it's portable, meaning do you have to go back and qualify by medical? If you may not be able to actually get qualified that way because of some health condition, getting an idea of if your new employer offers, again, similar or same benefits allows you to make sure you don't have big gaps of insurance coverage throughout the transition process. Yeah. I mean, that point alone is, it sounds, it's extremely thorough, first of all, but I think I just thought of the next paper that I want you to write, Nate, and it's going to be called something like how your $100,000 job pays you less than your current $80,000 job or something like that. that that's Real the life. point of all of this yeah. wrapped up, right? So, <laughs> yep. um, so and again, some people chase the salary and then the bottom line dollars in their bank account may actually be less because of all these things you mentioned. And, and so if you're listening, most people aren't considering all of these things. Maybe they don't even know. Maybe sometimes they just say, you know what, I'm going to get paid more over here. I'm out. I'm sick of this place anyway. So, but these are all definitely things. If you're doing a very thorough job, which Nate is doing, these are things you want to consider. So we are on point number five, Nate. We are. So point number (laughs) five is, like I said, this is going to sound redundant. What am I gaining versus what am I giving up? But I wanted to split these up because this is more of the softer side. All of those things we just talked about in point number four are pretty quantifiable. You can grab the number, you can make a comparison side by side. This one is a little bit more subjective. What am I gaining? You might be looking at increased flexibility. It's a very common trend uh, that that we're seeing when people are saying, look, I'm looking for a new job. I want to be able to work from home. I want to be able to split my time between the home and office. So one of the things that really can be big about increased flexibility, especially if it's a remote or work from home job, is you may really be able to reduce your travel time, especially right now. And as as you know, the date that we're recording this, gas prices are still, you know, <laughs> not cheap. <laughs> so being able to being able to to put less into the tank on a weekly basis is pretty attractive for people. But even ignoring the dollar aspect of it, the amount of time, you know, especially if you're living in a larger city, your commute might be 45 minutes to an hour pretty easily one way. So this situation, I think, can give you a lot of extra time back in your day, which there's actually been several studies that have kind of walked through the increased time back in your schedule that isn't used with you know, transit creates a situation where you can have a lot more creativity in your role. That actual time to sit there and, and ponder and come up with unique ideas really can be a big asset for not just you and your role, but the, the company that you're employed with as well. And I think a lot of people are in love with the idea of the increased autonomy, like making your own schedule, being your own boss. Touch on that because I think that's a catch-22 uh, for a lot of people. But Making your own schedule, I think, is a a big flexibility piece that a lot of people long for. The other side of the coin here, what you might be giving up, is I think with increased flexibility, oftentimes comes increased complexity. So when you look at this, I don't know if this is actually a term, but this is just how it always made sense in my mind. I call it a blended schedule, meaning that when you're working remote from home, you might be taking a phone call with a um, fellow employee or coworker and you're changing the laundry over, or you're putting the dishes away, or you're making sure the dog gets outside. It's uh, that in and, in and of itself, I think some people are sitting there saying, oh, I'd love to do that. I'll, I'll tell you right now, as someone who through the entire pandemic worked from home and continues to do you know, a decent amount of, of work, a remote, um, maybe romanticized a little, a little much. <laughs> it's, it's not as cool as you think it is after that becomes your norm. For the first couple of weeks, it might be very cool. But I think one of the, and there were, again, plenty of articles written about this, especially during the pandemic, but the increased complexity, now that you're working completely remote or mostly remote, 
do you want to have your desk in your bedroom? Is that going to be the best setup? Do you want to have your desk be the kitchen table? So you have to set it up and tear it down every single night to make sure that there's plenty of room for the kids to still eat at the kitchen table because you're trying to keep them away from the TV anyways. At the end of the day, there's some increased complexity there because now you have to figure out a whole other space in your house. Separating those two things, work and life, really does create a better situation from a psychological perspective for people. And uh, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but that whole nine to five, it's, it's kind of no longer a thing. If you're working from home using a blended schedule, it's figure out when you can get the work done. Uh, and as someone who works for themselves, you know, all the advisors here at Six Point, we run our own books independently. I'm my own boss. And at the end of the day, I'm probably uh, way harder on myself than any other boss that I've ever had has ever been. You know, careful what you wish for. That's right. So back to the first part of the point number five, the reduced travel time. We have to be careful there, Nate, because 80% of our listeners listen to this podcast in the car. So you just reduced half of the people are more than half of the people that are going to hear this, right? <laughs> if they stay home. Um, but the, the blended schedule thing, I love that integrated schedule, blended schedule. I have not heard that before or thought about it as clearly as what you just said, but I think it's completely accurate. I personally definitely need to leave to focus. Otherwise I'll be sitting there thinking about, are my dishes done? Is that laundry switched? Oh, I could go clean this off real quick or take the dog out. And it's, yep. Definitely need a separate workspace for me personally. And I totally agree with you. Romanticized. I try to work from an office as much as possible, but we are on to our last point here, Nate, and then we'll wrap it up on on point number six. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Yep. Number six is uh, create some guardrails to protect you from you. So (laughs) there's a handful of points on this. I think as we look at increased salary numbers on that offer letter, we tend to be predisposed to start thinking of all of the things that we couldn't afford before that we can now afford. And we're starting to spend the money before we actually have it. So I've got three points to this. How do we make sure that we don't kind of go down this slippery slope? I think number one, it's important to keep the focus on paying yourself first before inflating your lifestyle. I know we were just discussing this recently, but you know, I've read in multiple places that walking through the process of getting big salary jumps throughout your career versus having a relatively gradually growing or even similar salary throughout your career. You tend to notice that people who get big jumps sometimes don't do as good a job as those who have consistent salaries or numbers by the end of their career, looking back at what they've saved. So there's something to that. Number two, I think as you walk through a increased salary situation, having a cash flow plan that includes the things that you want to do that are fun, the luxuries that you'd like to see, how you can afford, which again, I think maybe that's the right phrase. Not if we can afford it, how can we afford it? Creating those different creative ways to figure out the answer to the question. Because uh, if is a yes or no, how is there's multiple different iterations of that. And then number three, I think it makes good sense, you know, selfish plug to employ a professional. It doesn't have to be me <laughs> to employ a professional to help you determine how you can balance the fun parts with the new job and the raise with the reality of making sure you're staying the course or getting on course to being able to retire and live the life that you want to be able to live long-term. So yes, that's what I've got for point six. Yeah. I like it. The, I was just thinking we did a sudden wealth podcast too, and I I can equate somebody getting a, an $80,000 job promoted to a $200,000 job, but then they went and bought a new house and a brand new car. Yep. And they're back to making the same or even less than what they were making with the 80,000. So, and if folks are listening to this thing, they de- you definitely know somebody that has done that. They got a new job and they went out and spent that difference. As an advisor, it's, it's easy for us to say, right, Nate? Like, 
It's very easy for us to say, well, oh, you, yeah. should just, you should just say that live like you were for the next four years and you'll be set, but it's easier said than done. Right. Absolutely. So Absolutely. one thing I, I don't think we have time for this today, but I wanted to bring this up is this is more of a job to job change, right. Or career to career change. And I'll I'll call it a, it's not a lateral move, but you know what I mean? Maybe a promotion or from one similar employment to another employment, like a nurse moving from one hospital to another hospital or something. This is certainly all stuff they should go through. One thing that I noticed that people really ask about is like, what, again, what, what should I do? And they look at the salary. So 80%, I was surprised it was 80%. I I look for different things, but that's just me personally, freedom, flexibility, all that stuff. But the, it it is interesting to see that 80%. And that's true. That's the real world. Are you going to make more money? That's the first thing people do. Now with that said, going through what Nate, just covered was it that actually doesn't always mean you're making more money just because there's a larger number on paper. So that's something to go through. The second part of this though, and again, we don't have time for this today is what about like the side hustle or the dream job or the, or the running your own business. So this is, I run into this all the time, teachers or nurses or doctors or somebody that has something that they want to pursue that almost has nothing to do with what they're doing, but they know they want to do this business. They just don't know when to make the leap. Yeah. A lot of these principles can apply. And I've walked a number of people through that exact scenario. And at the end of the day, and I think Nate would agree with this, is many times if you've got the financials set, which obviously financial advisors can help with, then it just comes down to just going with the gut, right? Bank on yourself, go with your gut. Do you think it's going to work? Many folks are very, very nervous to do this. And I get it to pursue that entrepreneurial dream because they don't know. And if you're making 50, 100, 200, $300,000 to walk away from that, to bank on yourself, that's, that's a big leap. So this is stuff that's all considered with what's Nate, what Nate's talking about. So Nate, I know you've been working on a tool that you're going to get out to folks to kind of calculate some of this. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I'll give just a sneak peek. As I was putting together this checklist, it became very obvious that there was no way in a single podcast episode we'd be able to lay, lay everything out so that people could just do it on their own. And I know that most people are visual as well. So I think it really prompted the how, how can we create more of a side-by-side with visuals to take all of these different things, walk people through the questions that maybe they should be asking their hiring manager or the recruiter that they're, you know, conversing with to really get an idea. It's it's just it stinks to get into a new role that you were really excited about. And then to see all the gotchas. Oh, you didn't ask me about that. Oh, we never mentioned that. So just having as clear uh, of, of an image of where you're going. I know there's always a little bit of stress or anxiety when you're making a change of any kind. Let's shine the light a little further down that path to make sure that people have a better idea what they're getting into. So yeah, we're really excited to, to put that out, but that should be available in the near future. I'm sure we'll make plenty of announcements once it is. And uh, we're excited to use it to help people make good decisions. I love it. And again, if you haven't done this before, or even if you have, sometimes you just don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. So I appreciate that. Nate, how can folks get a hold of you if they want to get that tool or even just talk to you about all the things that we discussed today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a handful of places you can find me. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So feel free to find me on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me by email at nhasto at sixpointfp.com. Uh, or you can find me on our website. And there are plenty of different things you can look up, look into, or read about if you're interested. Pretty much searching Nate, Nate Hasto, Rochester, New York will work. So <laughs> yep, it um, will. It, th- thanks for your time, Nate. We appreciate it. Folks, if you want to check us out, www.sixpointfp.com. You can find me, David Pulsini, on LinkedIn as well. 
and also our, our Facebook page that we're putting more and more information out on. So for now, that's it. Nate, we appreciate it again. We'll have you back on and folks make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, Private Client Services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.